Our topic this week out of the book of Malachi chapter 2, the law of truth in his mouth. Starting verse 1, now, O Kohanim, this commandment is for you. So in context of this chapter of the time period, Malachi was living around the time of Nehemiah. The walls of Jerusalem had uh, been finished being built, and he's speaking specifically to the Kohanim, the spiritual leaders of Israel, of Jerusalem, who are doing the sacrifices in the temple. And so his message is specifically for them in that context. And it still applies then also today to all ministers, spiritual ministers of God's word. But also in a broad sense, it would also apply to all of us and God has called all of us to minister his word and to share his word with others. Verse two, if you will hear, and if you will not take it to heart, or if you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. And so with two ifs in the beginning there, if you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart, it's conditional that if they don't take it to heart, if they don't take honoring God's name, glorifying him to heart, take it seriously and act it out, he's gonna put a curse upon them and, and curse their blessings but also with that conditional if, if they turn from their wicked ways and turn back to the Lord and take it to heart, take it seriously, uh, honoring God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, then his blessings would return, right? So if, and the same with us, to honor him and to glorify him. Behold, verse three, behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. I looked for a picture, appropriate picture to put on the wall here for you, but I couldn't find an appropriate picture of someone with poop on their face that I thought it would be good to show you. But, uh, but that's what he's saying here, right? The refuse on your face, I'm gonna spread it on your face and of your solemn feasts, right? So the feasts where people would come and everyone would come, the, the pilgrim feasts where people would come from all over the country to Jerusalem with their sacrifices and, and with all those sacrifices being offered in that time, there's all these lambs and, and other animals there present, there would be no doubt a lot of poop there as well. And uh, you know, that's why it was called the Dung Gate, right? There's a reason for that, right? And so uh, where they would haul all that stuff out of there. So of your solemn feasts, I'm gonna just spread and uh, you know we're not used to that today but if you lived in a farming community or back in the day when horses and wagons you're walking in the street you're walking across the street you got to watch where you're walking and you certainly don't want to fall face down it may be in something and so that's what he's saying you're going to stumble you're going to fall your blessings are going to be a curse and you're going to have dung on your face if you continue this way and you'll be taken away and that had already taken place prior, or so, a couple hundred years or so before this, when we were not following God and God allowed Babylon to come in and destroy the temple and we were taken away. And God allowed us because of the if wasn't, God's name wasn't being honored. We repented, God brought us back, temple services again, and so God's blessing again, but he says, uh, you yeah, know, still, if you go back to that way, 
you're going to be removed again. You'll be taken away again. Now, they obviously took this message to heart because God allowed us to continue. The temple continued faithfully for 400 years. And some will say that, uh, you know, then in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and their position has been removed. It's been taken away. Those who did not accept the Messiah and 70 or so years prior to that, or 40 or so years prior to that. But the Bible tells us that, in the book of Acts, that many of the Kohanim accepted Yeshua. It says not a few, right? So why do you interpret not a few, right? If it's not a few, then what is it? <laughs> it's at least a sum, or it's at least a lot, or it's at least a many, right? Not a few of the Kohanim accepted him. And you have Nicodemus, and you have Joseph Arimathea, of leadership accepting him, 3,000 in, in a day, plus women and children, and then 5,000, and every day people being added all within Jerusalem and the surrounding area, and then further throughout, Jerusalem, throughout Israel, Jewish people accepting him. And no doubt these, not a few of the Kohanim that accepted him, as mentioned in the book of Acts, uh, they no doubt ministered in sharing Yeshua sharing the gospel in the sanctuary services, in the temple services, in the lamb, pointing to the Lamb of God who came and was the ultimate sacrifice for us. But eventually the temple has ceased. We have no need of that anymore. We have no need of sacrificing of the animals anymore. And so God's fullness has taken place. Verse 4. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. So in love, God sends Malachi. In love, God sends a rebuke to the Kohanim. Because he doesn't want to spread refuse on their face. He doesn't want to turn their blessings into curses. And so he's calling them out and allows them to fall and stumble. And God allows sometimes in our lives calamities to happen so that we wake up, right? So that we realize we got dirt on our face, right? So that uh, we realize our condition and how bad it is and that we wake up to the situation and that we turn back to him. And so he's pleading with them to turn. And we will know that he has sent this commandment to us. So God sends his commandments out of love to give us guidance, to give us direction that my covenant with Levi may continue. God wanted it to continue and it did end up continuing and he wants it to continue, his covenant to continue. So this covenant with Levi. So who was Levi? Levi was one of the 12 children of Jacob which then from Levi's descendants become one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. And this covenant with him. So this covenant, what again is this covenant? Well, the covenant of the birthright was traditionally the oldest born would then receive, when the father died, he would receive then an inheritance to or, or responsibility to then be the head of the household. So a headship part of the birthright Another part of the birthright would be two-thirds of, or, or uh, a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had two children, one would receive two-thirds and one would receive one-third, right? So the one would receive 
twice as much as the other. If you had 10 children, one of them would receive uh, two 11s, and uh, uh, the others would receive uh, one 11th, um, or something like that, right? So whatever, he receives twice as much as everybody else. And so when Jacob dies, when Israel dies, instead of going to the firstborn, God divides, and then with that family, there's also the spiritual blessing that the Messiah would come through that line, and there would also be, and that's the kingship line, but also then the spiritual, of being the spiritual leader of the family. And so instead of going to the firstborn, God divided up into three different ones, where Judah gets the kingly line, the Messiah comes through Judah, and Joseph gets the double portion, that's why Ephraim and Manasseh, his two children, get portions, and then the spiritual leadership went to Levi. And so this covenant with Levi to be the spiritual leaders. And we see that enacted with Abraham, or not with Abraham, with, uh, with Aaron uh, in the wilderness. The other tribes began to question, why should he be? Why did he receive that covenant to be the spiritual leader? And then God confirmed it by having all leaders, or, of, uh, one leader of every one of the 12 tribes bring their staff and Moses put it into the uh, holy place, and in the morning, Aaron's staff uh, became alive. It was a dead staff, a dead stick. It became alive, had uh, buds on it, had branches on it, and it had almonds on it. And so it bore fruit, buds, and leaves uh, all in one night, confirming that God's covenant with him, a covenant to bless him, a covenant of life. And he, God wants it to continue. He wanted it to continue. And God wants our lives to continue. When he sends messages to us, whether through reading of his word, whether through uh, a person, whether through a sermon, whether through a situation, whether through a blessing, or whether through a calamity, it's because he wants to continue in our lives. He wants his covenant to continue with us. But if we reject it, he's not going to force it upon us. And he wasn't going to force it upon Levi. He wasn't going to force it upon the Kohanim. And he won't force it upon us either. Verse 5. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. And so this covenant, a covenant of life. God wants us to have eternal life. Abundant life here and now and for eternity, and one of peace, internal peace, that we can have his peace in our minds and our hearts, as was announced when Yeshua came. Uh, peace on earth. When people say, well, well, there's still wars today. Well, it wasn't the worldly peace that he came to establish, but peace in God's uh, peace in, in, in our hearts, God's peace in our hearts, peace that passes the understanding of this world. A peace that's there no matter what. A peace in spite of the wars, and peace in, in spite of the troubles. A peace in spite of the fears and the realities around us. A peace because our sins have been removed, our guilt has been taken from us. A peace because God has given us victory and strength over sin and given us self-control to say no to wrong, to say yes to right his peace abiding upon us. This is the covenant that God has given to us. 
that they might fear his name, that we might respect his name, that we might reverence his name. And it says, and he feared and was reverent before him, before my name. And so this might be referring specifically to the person, Levi, the individual Levi. We don't have a, in the scriptures written much about him to know much about the individual. So here it's telling us, so maybe he was reverent, maybe he did fear the Lord. You know, next verse we'll see some more written about this, but it could also be in the broad sense of the tribe itself. That they continued in this reverence towards the Lord. And most of the history seems to play that out. There were times where they were not. Um, it seems that most of the history, they remained faithful in the services of the Lord, in sacrificing of the animals, and doing their position uh, of providing the atonement uh, through the sacrificial services, through the blood of the lambs. And so he feared and was reverent before my name. And here we're talking about the name. It's not so much the letters of the name. It's not the yud hey vav hey exactly how you pronounce it or how you spell it. Or What it says name in the scriptures, it's talking about the character. Reverent before his character. Reverent before who he is. Um, God has lots of names described in the Bible. We've already seen here in Malachi, he's referred to as king. He's referred to uh, in the scriptures as, as father. We'll see that here in this chapter also, that he's our father, that he's our king, that he's our deliverer, that he's our messiah, that he's our savior, that he's our creator, that he's so many things. He has so many titles and so many names because he's so broad. Each one is a description of him. And he's that's why we have no need of other, other God. Because he is all the gods, right? The Greek, they, they, they needed gods for every different thing because no one God could do it all. So they need one to give the rain, they need one to give the sun, they need one to grow the, the plants, and one to do this, one to do that. Well, God does all the things. He meets all of our needs. He is the eternal God, and thus he has many titles. The self-existent one, he's always been, he always will be, who is and was and shall be. He is the name. So it's this reverence to him. So we say in society today, oh, that brand, it's a good name. That's a good company, right? That has a good name. It doesn't mean that the name sounds nice. It doesn't mean that the name uh, is easy to spell. You know, that's a good name. What makes it a good name? It means it's a good company. It's reliable. You can depend on it, right? That it has a good reputation. There used to be a commercial... Uh, with a name like Smuckers, it's got to be good, right? What does that mean, right? So if I, if I name my, you know, child Smuckers, he's going to be a good kid, you know? And if it's got that name, it's got to be good. Well, they say we stand behind our name, we put our name on our product, we believe in our product, and you can trust us, you know? And if, if, if it's not good, well, you blame us. Our name is there, right? And so that's what it means, right? That's what it's supposed to mean anyway. Um, and so God's... Reverencing his name is reverencing him, honoring him for who he is and for all that he's done and fearing him, respecting him, fearful. And this fear is not a fear that, uh, that oh, he's going to hate us. You know, God loves us. It's not a fear that he's going to put refuge on our face, that he's going to, uh, you know, punish us. Well, that is immature belief we grow with that like an immature child 
fear getting spanked or fear doing wrong because of a parent's uh, displeasure, but the parent is only disciplining because they love. Good parent. Right? Uh, kind of like the some teenagers out and, and a few of them say, oh, I got to go home. My parents said I got to be home by such and such a time and I got to go home. And, and one of them says, oh, I can stay out all night. My parents don't care what time I come home. And the message is, my parents don't care. Right? And so a caring parent, a caring God, gives commandments, gives guidance, gives direction, gives boundaries, gives guidance. And so yes, this fearing is fearing that we're going to do wrong, fearing that we're going to do displeasure, fearing we're going to go outside of the bounds that he has set for us and get hurt by doing so. But a growing in that, a maturity in that, is not so much a fear of what's going to happen to me, but a fear of what my rebellion and disobedience is going to do to him. How is my disobedience going to hurt God? Yeshua died for our sins. He died for our disobedience. He died for our rebellion. And the scriptures say that he dies afresh. We crucify him afresh when we sin. And so we should fear, respect his name, walk fearfully and trembling that we don't hurt him, that we don't kill him, that we don't do anything that dishonors him, because we are his representatives. And the world sees him through us. And if we misrepresent him, then they have a distorted picture of what God is. And then they would reject God and they would miss out on heaven because we did not paint a right picture in our lives. Fearing him, fearing his name, respecting him, honoring him, giving honor to him. And this covenant, well, what is a covenant? In the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, in the most holy place, there's a piece of furniture, right? And it was referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. Why was it referred to the Ark of the Covenant? What was inside it? The Ten Commandments. Right? A covenant, another word for covenant is promise. So his covenant, my covenant is with you. My commandments are with you. God's promises. He promises like I said before, you don't need any other God. I am so big, I am so broad, you don't need anyone else. I promise you, if you allow me into your heart and mind, you won't need these trinkets, you won't need these idols, you won't need anything else. You'll pray directly to me, I'll hear you, I will answer you. I promise you, I'll give you 52 weeks off a year, or days off a year. I'll give you 52 vacations, I'll give you a vacation every, day, every week. Vacation to every week. I'll give you a Sabbath, you'll rest. You'll have peace, I promise you. I promise you that I'll give you love and respect and honor to your parents. I promise I'll provide all your needs. You won't have to steal from anyone else. I promise you I'll give you contentment. You won't have to covet anyone else what anyone else has. I promise you I'll give you love that you won't have to kill anyone. You won't have to hurt anyone. I promise you if you let me live inside you, if you let me dwell inside you, my commandments, my covenant, my promises will be fulfilled in your life.
And so his covenant was with Levi. His covenant is with us. One of life and peace. If we honor him, that condition is there for us too. That promise is there for us too. If we honor him, honor, respect him, fear him, love him, we will have life and we will have peace. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. Some virgins have uprightness and turned many away from iniquity. This is the job of Levi. This is the job of the Levites, the spiritual leaders. This is our job as spiritual leaders, whether in our homes or whether in our community or wherever God has placed us, at work or at school, to lead, to be spiritual examples to this nation and to this world, to hold on to God's covenant, to fear his name, to walk in life and peace, to hold fast to those promises and have the law of truth in our mouths. Speak God's truth. Today's society doesn't even believe in truth. It's totally bizarre. I think there's more than two genders. That's not truth. That's a fabricated lie. They want us to believe a lie and they want us to talk the lie and pretend the lie. And it's a lie. But God has put truth the law of truth in our mouth. To speak truth in love. Even if it disagrees with the current narrative, even if it sometimes hurts, God's speaking truth here to the Kohenim. And God calls us to speak truth, biblical truth. Yeshua is the way, He is the truth. And he is the life. God's word is truth. It's accurate all throughout. Genesis to Revelation, chapter 1 to the last verse. It's all true. God places his law of truth in our mouth. And we need to speak his law and speak his truth. And live his truth. Walk his truth. No injustice on our lips. No partiality, no prejudice, no racism, no injustice, no unfairness. Speak rightly, based on facts, based on evidence, based on God's word, based on the situation that's taking place. Not based on who has more money, or who has more favor, or who has more influence, or who has more power. God calls us to speak the law of truth even to power, whoever, whatever. Like Elijah coming before Ahab. Like John the Immerser coming before Herod. God called us to speak truth without injustice. Truth and justice, righteousness. And then walk it. Not only speak it, but live it. Walk. He walked. Levi walked with me in peace and in uprightness. He walked rightly. He walked justly. He walked on a level ground. 
Not with pride, not with insecurity, not up and down, not here today, yet there tomorrow, not changing back and forth, but in a straight path. And in security and peace. Without fear. With boldness, like the disciples prayed, for boldness to go forth and to speak. And they're speaking the law of truth, speaking justice, walking in peace, walking uprightness, turned many away from iniquity. And that's the job of the minister. That's the job of each one of us, to turn people away from iniquity. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not to just continue in them, not just forgiven, not just eternal sinners, but saved, changed, transformed, turning away, repenting of, and turning away from iniquity, turning away from sin. That's the gospel message, that God saves us not only from the punishment of sin, not only the penalty of sin, but from sinning, from committing iniquity. Not just from the guilt, but from its power. He delivers us. He sets us free. Takes us out of Egypt. Brings us into the promised land. Takes us out of Babylon. Brings us back to the promised land. Takes us out of this world and into the heavenly realms. He delivers us in the here and now. He sets us free and he's called us to set people free. This is the job. This is the calling. This is the covenant. This is the promise. This is the commandment to Levi. To live it, to walk it, to share it, and to help people and deliver them. Now, to do that, we need to speak the law of truth, but we need to speak the law of truth in love. What does that mean to speak it in love? We need to love the people we're speaking to and a love that Yeshua had. We need to have Yeshua's type of love. Well, what was that? What did that look like? Did it allow sin? Did it excuse sin? No. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Turn from your wicked ways. Repent. A love that was willing to lay down his life. There's no greater love than to lay down our lives. And not just for our friends, but for our enemies. Because yes, someone might be willing to die for someone else, for some figure, for some one of worldly importance. But Yeshua died while we were yet sinners. Loved us while we were yet enemies of him. While we had enmity against him. And that's the type of love God has called us to have. Towards those he's called us to speak the law of truth to. As Moses, if you cannot forgive them, blot my name out. As Paul, I wish I could be cursed for their sake. In other words, they were willing to give up their seat in heaven so that these other people could sit there. 
And before we speak the law of truth, we need to have that kind of love for the lost, for our enemies. That's not natural. You can't force that. You can't think that into being. You can't positive think that. But God can give that to us. We surrender our lives to him. We surrender our selfishness to him. We surrender our carnal nature to him. Accept his Holy Spirit. He will put in us. Let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. He'll give us his very mind, esteeming others better than ourselves. Lord, let them in heaven instead of me. When we pray for them that way, God didn't take Moses up on it. He didn't take Paul up on it. In a sense, he didn't even take Yeshua up on it because Yeshua was willing to die eternally for us. But God raised him on the third day as well. When we have that kind of heart, that kind of love, then God can put his law of truth in our mouth. And we can speak it and we can walk it by the Holy Spirit and turn many away from iniquity. God could just do away with iniquity. If he could just do away with, by doing away with the law, then there'd be no need for a savior. The fact that Yeshua died for us proves that there is a right, that there is a wrong, there is a good, and there is its iniquity. There is truth and there is sin. Because if he could just say, well, you're just all forgiven. There's no more law. Then he wouldn't have to die. He died for the punishment of the disobedience of the law. And so the fact that he died for our sins establishes the law. It strengthens the law. It reveals its importance and its immutability, its eternal character. But he had to pay the price for disobedience to that law. And again, even today, if we continue to break his law, he will be crucified afresh. Verse 7, for the lips of the Kohenim should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth for he is the messenger of the law, Lord of hosts. So all these things, this is the job of the Kohenim, to hold the covenant, to fear God's name, to honor him, to respect him, to live for him in life and in peace, eternal life with him, in peace and joy, speaking the law of truth, walking in his ways, seeking justice and living out justice and meeting justice in a just way, in a right way, in walking in peace, walking uprightly, turning people away from sin, calling sin by its right name, and then keeping knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Keeping knowledge, sharing knowledge. Knowledge is found in the Word of God. Keeping it, holding it fast, cherishing it, respecting it. I know some people that won't put anything on top of a Bible. Have a Bible on a table, they won't put another book or anything on top of it, kind of a, a, a respect for it. It's God's holy word. They may never open it, may never read it, but they have this reverence for it, this book on the, you know, the God's word. 
Keep it holy, but more than just respect it. But keep it in our hearts, keep it in our minds, allow God to write his laws in our hearts, in our minds, and to fulfill them in our lives. To keep the knowledge and that people should seek the law from his mouth. Again, establishing the law. But that's our call as messengers of the Lord. He's called us all to minister, to give the message, to share the message, to teach the message, to proclaim the message, to share it. And that message is God's law. The message is his salvation. The blending of grace and truth together, law and mercy together. The whole scriptures all blended beautifully together, turning people away from iniquity, law of truth in our mouths, all of these things, walking in peace and life, eternal life. This is the calling of the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's our calling in these last days, to be God's messengers, to speak it, to live it, to demonstrate it, and to turn people away from iniquity and turn people to heaven, to turn people to righteousness, to turn people to holiness. And then in contrast, verse 8, but you have departed from the way, you have caused many to stumble at the law, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. He was speaking to them in that day, and again, praise God, they must have repented, because we only have the four chapters of Malachi and no other rebuke needed for 400 years. But today, this applies. We've departed from the way, causing many to stumble at the law. Teaching the law has been done away. Three quarters of the Bible is old and irrelevant, and not needed anymore. Except chapter 3 of Malachi, because that talks about tithe. But chapter 2, oh, we don't have to preach about that. Stumbling at the law. Presenting a confusing, confusing picture of the law. I'm seeing demonstrations and pictures and illustrations of the period of law, and then God replaced it with a period of grace. In other words, for 4,000 years, God didn't know what he was doing. And so he changed plans. After 4,000 years, he realized it's not working that well. I better change, shift gears. But God knows he's got an eternal gospel, an everlasting gospel. Stumbling at the law. Because we don't understand the law, the purpose of the law. The law shows us right from wrong. And then the law, if we break the law, the law stays consistent. The law doesn't change because our feelings change, because our emotions change, because our desires change, because society changes. The law remains the same. It does not change. It does not bend. It's written in stone. If you try and flex it, it breaks, cracks. The law remains the same. But after we've broken the law, the law can't forgive us. 
The law has no mercy. The law, again, is firm, stays the same. After we've broken the law, it can't save us. It can just condemn us, which is part of the purpose then. It condemns us and brings guilt upon us, which should cause us to realize we need help. And if we need help, where do we have to go? To a Savior, which God has also provided, who then saves us not from the law, but from the condemnation of the law. Saves us from the guilt of breaking the law. And again, saves us from disobeying the law. Fills us with the Holy Spirit, who then gives us the power to walk in the law, walk in uprightness, walk rightly. So the total misunderstanding being preached for hundreds of years now. That the law is bad. But Paul says it's good. The Lord is right and just and holy. And yet they try and say, Paul said it's done away with. It's been nailed. It's been killed. It's unnecessary. And so there's this confusion. And so people stumble. They don't understand. It doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. Because if there's no law, there's no right, there's no wrong. In Germany, there's a road. It's called the Autobahn. There's no speed limit. You can drive as fast as you want. They can't give you a ticket, can they? For speeding? No, because there's no speed limit. Where there's no law, then there's no disobedience to the law because there's no law there. And so if there's no law, then there's no sin. And if there's no sin, there's no need of a savior. And so it brings confusion. So they teach there's no law, the law's been done away, but then they have their own laws. Some laws. <laughs> can't kill someone. You can't, yeah. So how can we have some laws and not other laws? Well, God did away with the laws, but then he puts them back. Causing people to stumble. It's craziness. It's confusion. It's Babylon. And that's exactly what's happening today. That's why there's such a misunderstanding. And that's why you have ministers who are homosexuals. Because they've stumbled at the law. They've been taught that the law doesn't matter anymore. So the word of God doesn't matter anymore. And so whatever I think I am, that's what I do. And there's no, no condemnation. So it's, it's the end result. It's the reaping of the whirlwind of what has been sowed for hundreds of years. Causing people to stumble at the law. You do away with the law, then you do away with right and wrong. And so who's to say what is right and what is wrong? And if there is no right and there's no wrong, then there can be no judgment. And so even God can't then keep anybody out of heaven. Because there's no right and there's no wrong. And so if someone wants your stuff, or your spouse, or your life, or whatever, who's to say they shouldn't have it? And that's why society today is so mixed up. Because God's people today are mixed up. Because we've caused people to stumble at the law. At right and wrong. At justice, at morality. 
Because without God's truth, without God's word, without keeping his knowledge, without having the law of truth in our mouths, then there's no morality. Without the Bible, there's no morality. There's no distinguishing of what is moral and what is not moral. And if there's no distinguishing of what is moral and what is right, moral, then who's to say what is right and what is wrong? What can be done, what can't be done? And if there's no judgment for that, there's no authority to be able to say what should be done, then anything goes and everything goes. And, eventually, and that's the path we're going. That's the path society is going. Total anarchy. Against all rule, against all law. Because that's the end result of the, uh, of the logical conclusion that there is no law. That the laws have been done away with. And they're picking and choosing of what should be put it back in. So we've corrupted the covenant, the promises, the calling of the ministry. And that's why God's word is being trampled underfoot. Then when you do away with a big portion of the Bible, three quarters of the Bible, and you're left with so little, Verse 9, therefore, I have also made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Picking and choosing, a partiality in the law. Well, this law we like, the tithe law we like, the not killing we like, the not committing adultery we like. We keep those laws. But not the Sabbath law. That one we don't like so much. That we do away with. Or we'll change it if we want to change it. We'll modify it if we want to modify it. Whatever meets our needs. Partiality. Causing people to stumble. Showing difference. And we also cause people to stumble by adding to God's laws. Right? We've had that's what the problem in Yeshua's day. They added to God's laws, laws, man-made laws that weren't in the Bible of how far you can do this and, and on the Sabbath and what you can do and what you can't do, and added to God's laws of things that weren't there, placing burdens that they couldn't even keep themselves. And we have that in society today. Dictators, and I'm not talking about dictator regimes in some other place. Even in this country, mayors and governors and leaders who are little dictators making laws that they themselves are not even keeping, showing partiality in the law, causing people to stumble at the law. And again, that's just copying what is being done by those that are preaching, picking and choosing, adding laws, arbitrary laws, and not just following the laws of the scriptures that God has given to us. Showing partiality that God did away with the ten, but then he put nine back. It's craziness. Again, he didn't know what he was doing. God's just winging it as he goes along. And this is what is being contemned in Malachi's day, and it applies to us today. And we'll see in chapter four, Malachi's message is a last day message. It's for our day. We become contemptible. And we see that today. Ministers at one time in history were held in high esteem. Today, 
It's almost as bad as politicians in people's eyes. And in some ways for a good reason. There have been ministers who've done a, abuses, children abuse, sexual abuse, marital abuse, and then still be able to go and preach. Say false things, false prophecies, and then continue to write books and be interviewed on various TV shows. We become contemptible. I'm on a plane or something, somewhere, and I tell them I'm a minister, the conversation gets real quiet. <laughs> we become contemptible because we have not been doing as we've written in those first verses, speaking the law of truth, living the truth, not speaking injustice, living in peace, living uprightly, turning people away from sin, turning people to justice. So we've shown partiality. Favoritism to certain laws and, not, and denying other laws, sending forth confusion. We've become base before the people. And again, denying a big portion of the Bible. And some people say, boy, you preach longer than other preachers. Well, I can't help it if they don't have anything to say. <laughs> you know? But when you're not preaching the word of God, you have nothing to say. Right? If you only got one quarter of the Bible and you just do that over and over again for 20 years. We've been doing, we're in Malachi, we've been, Genesis to Malachi, it's taken us 20 years, right? This word of God is fresh, there's so much in the word of God. When you have the whole word of God, there's so much there. It's new every morning. It's fresh, everything is there. But when we deny most of it, and pick and chew and choose and show partiality of which verses we're going to do and ignore other ones because they don't meet our narrative. And we're left with very little. And so they end up just telling stories. Stories of when they were kids, stories that they heard, stories that they made up. Emptiness. Nothingness. But when we speak the law of truth, many will be turned from iniquity. Verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? So one Father. He's referring to either himself, God, as Father, or maybe talking about Adam, one Father of humanity. And then it talks about creation. One God has created us. Either way, Malachi believes in creation. The creation account. We have a father, a heavenly father, or an Adam, father of all mankind, that God has created all of us out of that. Out of his word, out of his power. Malachi didn't believe in a long evolution. Again, showing partiality. We're so-called professed preachers of the Bible and so-called professed believers in the Bible believe in evolution, which is not in the Bible. And deny creation, which is all throughout the Bible, not just the first two chapters, but here in Malachi and all throughout the scriptures, talking about the creator God. And because he's the creator, he's father of all. And because he's father of all, he loves us all equally, without partiality, without injustice. And because he's father of all, he has the ability to tell us what is right and what is wrong. He has the ability to call what is moral and what is immoral. Because he is father of all, he can judge. Because he is father of all, he can show mercy. Because of he's father of all, he can show forgiveness and give forgiveness. 
Because of his father of all, he's able to change us and transform us and empower us to live right and to walk rightly. He's a creator God, and it doesn't have to take forever to do so. Right? When we get this evolution mindset, well, one day I'll stop doing that iniquity. One day I'll gain victory over it. One day I'll change. One day I'll wake up and, and I'll be morphed and changed and I'll have a desire to not do that anymore. That evil desire will disappear. One day it'll just kind of happen. You can wait, well, it may take billions of years, but one day, one day I'll wake up and desire to exercise. You know, one day it'll change. You know. But no, God's a creator God. He speaks and it's done. Neither do I continue. Go and sin no more. And with that command is the power to go and sin no more. Just as with that command, let there be light, and there was light. There is power in the word of God. He speaks and it's done. We can receive his word. We can receive his power. And we can have the victory now, today. Whatever your sin is, whatever the struggle, whatever habit, whatever issue you're facing, he can give you the victory now. Even as I'm preaching, don't wait for the final appeal, don't wait for the final prayer. He can set you free now, boom. He speaks and it's done. It is. And it's according to his will. For you to prosper spiritually. To be right with him. To be forgiven. To depart from iniquity. To be saved from sin. Loving one another. Holding fast the covenant that God has given to us down through the ages. That's what he's called us to. Unity, oneness in one family, under one God, under one creator, loving one another, caring for one another, speaking the law of truth to one another in love, a love that's willing to die for each other eternally. That's what God has called us to. That's what God has created us for. That's what God is forming here in these last days, a people who will shine for him, who will honor him in their lives, so that the world have something to look to and see what is right, what is wrong, what God looks like, recreated into his image. That's his calling for you. That's his calling for me. That's his calling for us together as a body of believers. And so, as we prepare to pray, whatever area speaks to you, whether you have been fed lies regarding the law, traditions over laws, multiplied laws on laws on laws, man-made laws that you've been trying to keep, confused between traditions and the word, and you want to surrender that and have God's balance and keep to his word, his law of truth. Then the moment we pray, let God do that in your life. Let him cleanse you of the past. Maybe you've been fed the, 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 and stumbled at the law because you've been taught that the laws are done away with. They're not necessary anymore. We can't keep them. Don't worry about them anymore. And just disregard them. God is love, and so he just loves you anyway, no matter how bad you are, and he'll let anything go. He doesn't care whether you do it or not. You've been fed that kind of garbage, maybe not in that plane of words. 
Then ask God to cleanse your mind and renew your mind, to place his law into your mind and into your heart, the mind of Yeshua into your mind. Let him transform your mind, the renewing of your mind and life and heart. If you want to be God's messenger, if you're willing to say, Lord, here I am, send me. Touch my lips with your coal from your altar where the sacrifices were burned and where the blood dripped down upon, the fat dripped down upon. Touch my lips with your sacrifice. Speak your law of truth out of my mouth. Send me forth. Give me love for my neighbor. Give me love for my enemy. Give me love for those around me. Give me a willingness to die for them. You're willing to, to surrender that and let God fill you with that. And a moment when we pray, let God do so. And put that law of truth in your life. To be his messenger. To not speak injustice. If you need peace, maybe you're going through some trouble, maybe you're going through some heartache, maybe you're going through some difficulty in your mind, emotionally, mentally, socially, and you need God's peace. He's promised you peace, covenant of peace. Accept his peace, accept his love, accept his plan. Trust him. Hold his hand, let him walk you through it. You don't have the promise of eternal life in your heart and mind. He's covenanted to give us life. He's promised you eternal life. If you've never confessed your sins to him, if you've never accepted Yeshua as your savior, in a moment when we pray, do so. Accept eternal life through his sacrifice, through his death. If there's some sin in your life, some iniquity still on your record, some known, cherished wrong, in a moment when we pray, ask God to turn you from iniquity and deliver you from the iniquity and set you free. If you want to be used by God in turning other people from sin, living justly, living uprightly, to walk the walk, to not be a hypocrite, but to have your walk and your talk be in harmony with God's word. And in a moment when we pray, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to live out his truth in you and through you. If in the past you've sent confusing message, you've caused other people to stumble at God's laws, caused people to stumble at God's word because you didn't know any better and you spoke because of what you were taught, ask God to forgive you and ask God to go and undo the damage that you did. Even if you have to go humbly with poop on your face and apologize and repent of the mistake that you've made to others, or you've shared with others, the falsehoods that you've done, maybe you've lived hypocritically. Be humble, go before them, and ask their forgiveness, and teach them the law of truth, God's word. So if any of those areas apply to you, let God do his work. Let's pray to you. Maybe some other area God's speaking to your heart and mind about. Let him, as we pray, let him work in you. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, 
We are thankful for your word and we're thankful for your law of truth. Thank you for your covenant upon us. Thank you for your calling upon us. Thank you that you don't want to let us go. Thank you that you continue to appeal to us and call us. Thank you for giving us your commandments. Thank you for giving us your way. Thank you, Yeshua, for giving your life for us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for saving us from sin. Thank you for delivering us from iniquity. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Fill us and give us your peace. Give us eternal life. Give us the ability to walk in peace and give us the ability to walk uprightly. And use us, Lord, in leading people away from iniquity and into your righteousness. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.